Welcome to our final Saltier Politics of 2020. Julie, what a cluster this year has been. It continues to be a cluster, as we saw this week. Um, the pardoning of some of these people, which we'll get into in a bit, underscores what a cluster this administration is and what this year has been. But hope springs eternal. There is a new year. We're turning the page, not just on the year, but on this administration and hopefully this virus. And, and I truly hope that this is it. I hope that this is, I hate to say as bad as it gets because it could always get worse. And, and I feel like I personally have kind of dodged a lot of bullets this year and have had a pretty good year, which sounds almost awful to say in the midst of so much suffering and so much horror for so many people. But um, I, I truly hope that next year is just going to be a year where we return to a sense of normalcy for all of us. I agree. I, I'm so grateful this year that, you know, I have a new job. And that, you know, I'm not out of work like so many of my friends are and so many people are. I'm, I'm really optimistic for next year and I think we're going to accomplish a lot. And I'm excited to see this new, the new administration. Is there a particular cabinet position that you're most excited about that Biden has appointed? You know, I think he's, he's made fairly good appointments um, for a lot of them. I'm very pleased, uh, certainly, to see a new foreign policy and a new foreign policy direction. I think Tony Blinken is a great pick for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is he's somebody that our allies, who we have treated awfully for the last four years, know and is comfortable with, they are comfortable with him. They know where he's coming from. He's got relationships. He's not a, a novice to all of this. The way that, for example, Rex Tillerson was when he came into the Trump administration, he's a known quantity to these people. And it's important because we have treated our allies in Western Europe just awfully, just brutally. And with disdain, treating them like junior partners in an enterprise that has been the Pax Americana for the last 70 years or so. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to get to more sane foreign policy as we as, as we go along. Honestly, I can't tell you how excited I am. The more I reflect on Kamala Harris having an Indian woman is really cool because I'm trying to get to know part of my family in India, but seeing one a woman and then an Indian woman, it's really cool. And it, I get overwhelmed a lot of times with emotion when I just even see it because it, it doesn't feel real. Cause I was so happy also on the other hand for Hillary Clinton to become president and was waiting and waiting. And it was such a letdown when she wasn't um, that, that this moment of seeing Kamala in office is going to be just huge. Yeah, and it's interesting. For people that don't know, your mother um, is half Indian or she's fully Indian? Half or? Indian, yes. My half. grandfather's from New Delhi. And you've never gone there, right? I've never gone there. I know. I never think about that. That's part of your heritage, but it really is. And it says so much um, to have somebody of Indian descent. Everybody always talks about how Kamala Harris is African-American. She certainly is half of her, but half of her is Indian. And she was raised by, I think, primarily her Indian mother. She's got a lot of ethnic affiliation um, and also, I think, cultural affiliation with that part of her world. Um, and that, by the way, the South Asian demographic, and not just South Asian, the first generation Asian demographic is a hugely rapidly growing demographic in this country and an important and critical demographic in this country um, 
which for some reason we don't we don't talk enough about or pay enough attention to. I think everybody thinks of her. There's that very famous beam of her walking in her pantsuit and that and that little shadow of Ruby Bridges, one of the little black girls who integrated um, the school system, falling on the wall behind her. And so it's, it's a really powerful meme, one that kind of takes your breath away every time you see it. But in addition to Ruby Bridges, think about all the people from the Indian subcontinent who must be looking at her and saying, oh my God, this woman speaks for us. She's a first generation Indian American. Again, I'm really, really excited for that moment. I want to talk about these pardons, Julie, because you've called, you called it. I remember you called Charlie Kushner earlier on, on a previous podcast. What, what are your, some of your visceral reactions to some of these? So I actually know Charlie Kushner um, because before Charlie Kushner was the father of Jared Kushner, Charlie Kushner was a huge, and I mean huge with a capital H, huge Democratic donor um, and gave a tremendous amount of money to Democratic candidates. Um, was very close to my old boss, Frank Lautenberg. Um, if you remember Jim McGreevy, the former governor of New Jersey, was a huge donor to him. I think probably the biggest donor to, to him. And um, he was just a huge, huge, huge presence. Um, if you were a Democratic candidate, you would go and kiss the ring and Charlie Kushner would hopefully write you a big check. What ended up happening, which I think is interesting, is that Charlie Kushner had a falling out with his brother Murray Kushner over whatever families fall out over, and their sister Esther took Murray's side against Charlie. And so Charlie um, <laughs> sent, um, tried to get a couple of people who work for him to find a hooker to set up Esther's husband. Wait, um, I did not know this. Oh, this is why Charlie Kushner was one of the reasons he went to jail. Charlie Kushner, this is an awful story. I mean, this is actually probably the worst story, one of the worst stories you'll ever hear. They had a family falling out. The sister took the side of Esther. The sister took the side of his brother Murray in this family dispute. Um, and Charlie trying to get back at Esther and her husband gets to tries to get a couple of people who work for him to get a hooker to have the hooker prostitute to sleep with his sister's husband. The, uh, apparently the people who work for Charlie say, we don't really know how to do this. And we don't really want to do this. And Charlie goes, Oh, screw it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it myself. Big question. How does Charlie Kushner know where to find somebody like this? <laughs> so Charlie, finds a prostitute. The prostitute goes to a diner that um, in Somerset County, New Jersey. I, just, I remember the story. Like the, It was like, I lived this. I mean, this is insane how, how this is now a national story because it was such a, it was such a New Jersey story. Um, and I was very involved in New Jersey politics at the time. He, and continue to be, but uh, Charlie gets this hooker to go to the diner um, where uh, his sister's husband apparently is eating breakfast or lunch or some meal. She somehow strikes up a conversation with him. Um, and I believe, I'm not sure about this, but I believe she says her car is broken and she's like a damsel in distress and she needs a ride. He obviously doesn't know that she's a prostitute. Somehow they strike up the conversation. Not sure exactly how she was able to pull this off, but that's why she gets paid the big bucks to be a prostitute. Convinces this guy to go back to a hotel room with her where they end up having sex. The entire thing is recorded by Charlie, or not Charlie directly, but Charlie has somehow has the hotel room wired or something. Um, and Charlie 
not only decides that he's going to send this to his sister, but has to be talked out of sending this to his own nephews. He was originally going to send it to his nephews about their father um, to try to hurt his sister, who sided with his brother in this family dispute. And it was only because the nephews, somehow he was talked out of doing this by somebody. So instead, he sends this video to his sister the night before, I believe, his nephew's engagement party or something, where he thinks that this tape is going to be played at this engagement party. That somebody was going to stick this tape into, I guess, the VCR at the time or a DVR player to be played at this family event to embarrass his brother. I mean, that is a sociopathic thing that he did. To try to, for, you can hate your sister all you want. You could even hate your sister's husband all you want. But to do this to your own nephews um, the night before the engagement party and, and just to try to hurt your family that way, I think is just beyond the pale of whatever family dispute he was in. Anyway, he was prosecuted by then United States Attorney Chris Christie. He finally copped a deal, my understanding, and did not actually go to trial because I think they were about to expose further things about Charlie Kushner's relationship with said prostitute or something. This sounds like a movie. It, it really is a movie. Somebody should make a movie about this. It sounds like a bad Lifetime movie, right? Like yeah. Watch. Or a really interesting HBO yeah. series. <laughs> yeah, not even HBO series. I know, right? Um, and so anyway, bottom line, Charlie Kushner goes to prison. Chris Christie, who I have been critical of many times for engaging in what I thought were partisan prosecutions where he went, picked targets that were, you know, people who were beneficial to him politically. But in this case, Charlie Kushner actually was a bad guy and Chris Christie was right to prosecute him. And um, if you want to know why Chris Christie did not become the vice presidential nominee for, for Donald Trump or why he did not become attorney general or why he was kind of shut out of the transition team after um, working on transition at the last minute, had the rug pulled out from under him. It's because Jared Kushner hates Chris Christie. Why does he hate Chris Christie? Because Chris Christie as U.S. attorney prosecuted his father. Why did Chris Christie prosecute his father? For a variety of reasons, not the least of which is his father did this horrible thing to his, um, you know, hired a prostitute and did this horrible thing and, and to his own family. So, um, you know, that's just a good piece of drama. I don't really care if he pardons Charlie Kushner. Charlie Kushner served his time in prison. Charlie Kushner, um, whatever. I actually don't care that he pardoned Charlie Kushner. What I care about very much is that he seems to have pardoned everybody and anybody who could have exposed what I still believe was his relationship with the Russians, but who didn't do that because they kept their mouths shut, whether it was Paul Manafort or George Papadopoulos or this um, uh, Dutch guy who is, whose last name I can't pronounce, who was, is, the, is the son-in-law of a Russian oligarch. All of these people who were indicted by Robert Mueller, by the Justice Department, I should say Robert Mueller can't indict anybody, all of whom kept their mouths shut and took this code of emerita silence, the way the mob does. He pardoned all of them. Right. The only ones who aren't are Gates and Michael Cohen. Yeah, well, Michael Cohen and Gates cooperated. Right. But he wouldn't pardon them. But the guys who refused to cooperate with the Justice Department, and not just the Justice Department, the Trump Justice Department. You can't even say this was some Democratic, you know, vendetta, because this is done by his own Justice Department, the people that refused to cooperate, um, those people ultimately um, 
are going off scot-free. And so anytime somebody says no collusion, no collusion, the Russia hoax, the Russia hoax. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't know that because these people would not cooperate in hopes of getting a pardon, which they just did. And my question here is, um, if there's nothing to worry about, if there's no cover up, why wouldn't these people just cooperate? Right. Correct. Well, okay. So, I have a couple of things. One thing that has been making me salty ever since learning about these are some of the Blackwater pardons. Oh, that's awful. Um, because, and it reminded me when you were talking about like how good it looks for Kamala Harris to, to East Asians to see her, but how bad does it look to Iraqi citizens and people in the Middle East to see the people who are killing innocent children and innocent families of Blackwater, now they're pardoned? How does that make us look abroad? Because it also perpetuates the narrative of some of these groups like ISIS or Al-Qaeda where the West doesn't care about you. The West doesn't care about young children and families. And, and, and so it's just this, I think the repercussions of this pardon with the Blackwater people are, is going to just be very big in long term. You want to know what's going to put our troops in harm's way? This, the anger that innocent Iraqis feel when a justice let's think about what we try to think about who we are as a nation right we always talk about exporting democracy we always talk about exporting the justice system we always talk about exporting um our way of life which is which is that the justice system unlike in places like Iraq or, or other despotic countries at least under Saddam Hussein holds people accountable without fear or favor no matter who they are mm-hmm. And just the notion, and I've been long critical of the pardon powers that the Constitution gives the president. I think it's awful. I think it's something from a um, a time in history when kings were able to, you know, have this noblesse oblige pardon power where, you know, the king could basically clear the slate for you. But that we have evolved very much since this Constitution was written in the, in the late 18th century. Um, we no longer should have this. So I would really hope that this is something that the, that we could do constitutional amendment on, but I'm not holding my breath. But think about what the average Iraqi says or thinks. How is Donald Trump or the president of the United States, any president, any different from whatever despot that they um, have lived under for, for millennia? Any kings, any authoritarians like Saddam Hussein, any, I mean, anybody. When somebody could wave a magic wand and people who have been convicted of basically genocidal behavior, I mean, a massacre of killing children and women and and just innocent civilians can just have their slate wiped clean. I mean, this guy got a life sentence for a reason and a jury of his peers found him to be guilty. And how the hell we are able to have this phenomenon where, because Eric Prince happens to be got and by the way eric prince is somebody i hope the justice department looks into well we have a real justice department back in back in action because eric prince god knows the meeting in the seychelles was unclear to me with all these russians i mean eric prince is up to crazy stuff the head of blackwater mm-hmm. who also happens to be Betsy devos the secretary of education's brother um but to pardon these people who work for eric prince um, to try to somehow rehabilitate Blackwater's reputation is just disgusting. I mean, think about if some 
Iraqi walked into Times Square and started shooting innocent women and children, and then he flies back to Baghdad, and somehow a jury of his peers finds him guilty for, for, for going in a massacre. And then, you know, the next president of Iraq comes in and just says, oh, never mind. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You're not guilty of killing all these Americans. All these innocent Americans, I should say. Not in a fog of war, but in the middle of a square. Times Square, for example. Think about our reaction. I, I mean, by the way, we, we went to war over this, if you recall. We did have situations like this. Right. This would have prompted a war. And then also the whole idea of American exceptionalism and us having this rule of law and, and being, you know, holier than now, this completely takes a big old dump all over it. Well, that's the problem. This American exceptionalism that we keep talking about and trying to export and this this notion that we're a democracy. And as I keep saying, we, we you know, apply justice that the scales of justice are blind. Whenever you see pictures of Lady Justice, right? Who you see, when you go to the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, I haven't, luckily. <laughs> I've never had a reason to. But um, there is a statue, apparently, in front of the Justice Department of, of, of Lady Justice and, you know, with the blindfold on and the scales of justice. Um, no, obviously not. I mean, the blindfold is not on. And the scales of justice are tipped. People are putting their fingers on the scales of justice. Um, if she's not blind, if you are related, or if you're a big MAGA donor, as Eric Prince was or is, if you are part of the crew, as Eric Prince is, then anybody who works for you gets a pardon, Any, including people who just massacre innocent civilians. I think about the My Lai massacre, though, if you know much about it, in Vietnam, and what an uproar that caused. You know, the whole notion of you have to burn the village in order to save it, and, and just as somebody who really studied that that part of our history um, and graduate school pretty deeply, I can tell you the, the consternation that that created. And this, okay, people just shrug it off. People shrug it off. And, and even let's look at what we talked about, right? We talked about, first we talked about Charlie Kushner because that's kind of the sexy, you know, oh, wow, he hired a prostitute to get his sister and he's Jared Kushner's dad. But, you know, again, Jared Kushner's dad, would I have given him a pardon? No. On the other hand, he's already served his time. These people have not served their time. Right. He's literally getting them a get-out-of-jail-free card. This right. is the law and order president. So it's law and order for everybody but people who support him. Exactly. And, and well, this kind of goes right into, because we're seeing, we saw people who are involved with Russia getting pardoned. And now we have this massive hack which has been all all roads lead to Russia who did this. There hasn't been evidence that says otherwise. But this yeah. massive hack that has gone on for months that Trump, I don't think he has still acknowledged it. This is really bad. And the only people who have done real reporting on it are news outlets. Like not much has come from the government on this. And what what do you think, Julie, is is behind Trump not reacting? Does he have too much at stake here? Everybody who was connected to Russia in any way, shape, or form, Mike Flynn, Paul Manafort, George Papadopoulos, this this Dutch guy who he pardoned, um, who is, uh, as I said, the son-in-law of one of Putin's closest oligarch buddies. All of them were pardoned for keeping their mouths shut. He has not said one word of criticism about Russia 
engaging in this. He's not even clever about, of course, there's a connection to Vladimir Putin. Of course, there's some financial interest that he's got with Putin or Putin's got something on him. People are still saying, oh, the Russia hoax, the Russia hoax. What is the Russia hoax? Doesn't this stink to high heaven? Is it just a coincidence? It's not a coincidence at all, Julie. I, I and, the, and the thing is, like, how the tech works. And I just did, like, I talked to a few people about this. And it's like, first of all, that means hackers are in the system. But then they can implement changes and see what's happening. It's just like, we don't know the extent of this and the ramifications, what this could mean. And it's, it's extremely scary because this, I think, in any other administration would have been an act of war. And I have to tell you. I keep going back to this. Joe Biden, in his quest to unite the country, and we don't do this, and we don't hold, you know, former presidents accountable. I don't want to listen to that nonsense, because all it's going to do is allow future presidents like Donald Trump to get away with murder, thinking they're going to have immunity. You know, the Russians. I don't know if you paid attention to this. Vladimir Putin just signed a bill that gives former Russian presidents immunity for life from prosecution. What? Right. Immunity for life from prosecution. So Vladimir Putin will have immunity for life from prosecution. Even if you were to stop being president tomorrow. I didn't. Okay. We don't have that in this country for a reason. Because nobody is above the law, including the president of the United States. That is the legal interpretation. But if Joe Biden doesn't look into this, then de facto we will be giving all former presidents immunity for life from prosecution. And that sends a horrible signal. You and I would not have immunity for life from prosecution. If you and I did something wrong and we left a job, you better believe investigations would follow us even if we quit the job. Why is the president of the United States different? He's not. And I don't want to hear this nonsense. And I keep seeing editorials about this and op-eds about this and don't indict Donald Trump. Trump, don't investigate Donald Trump. I'm not saying indict him. I'm not saying throw him in, in, in chains. But what I'm saying is this stinks. This mm -hmm. stinks. And there's no reason why a grand jury, now that they don't have to worry about invoking their Fifth Amendment rights, now that they've been pardoned, cannot put Paul Manafort in front of a grand jury, cannot put George Pap Papadopoulos in front of a grand jury, all, Michael Flynn, all these people. So this means and, that cases and appeal don't work either. And Well, but compel them to talk compel them to talk. They have not yet been pardoned for things that they've done in the future, just for things they've done in the past. Compel them to talk. And if they perjure themselves, indict them. Right. Indict them. But we need to get to the bottom of this because it is very clear to me that Robert Mueller, and shame on him for not coming out and saying this today, after all these pardons came forward. People, Andrew Weissman, who was his number two, has certainly said this. But Robert Mueller, we should hear from him. They were not allowed to do their investigation and they were not allowed to complete their investigation because the very people who could have given them a roadmap as to any potential quote unquote collusion, even though that's not a crime, but any connection to Russia knew full well they were getting a pardon and they would rather take a hit in the short term than help them deliver the truth. So Julie, you can offer a unique perspective on this because you understand the culture better than I do. For example, like what, how is Russia looking at us right now? Like we're chumps. And I've been reading, it's very interesting. I've been reading the Russian press. What you've seen in the Russian press is, it's like this very kind of snide, cynical, oh, our poor little Trump, and they're coming after Trump. And they're literally, 
this is understand all Russian media that you see is all for the most part controlled by Putin. It's all state government media, even if it's not directly funded by the state, because if you're not really allowed to operate, if you don't toe the party line, they're saying that they want to give him immunity, that he should go into exile in Moscow and build Trump Tower in Moscow there. Because clearly poor Donald Trump is going to be indicted by, by evil Joe Biden. So you know what? We'll give him asylum in Moscow. They're mocking it. And they're saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek. They're mocking it. He is, the Russians have a phrase that, that, that's been imported into this country. It's called a useful idiot. It means that you don't even know that you're being useful to their plans. You're just being, like, you're being puppeteered, but you're an idiot, so you don't know you're being puppeteered. He's the definition of their useful idiot. And they treat him that way, and they're cynical about it. And if you understand the Russian language, is a language which is very has a tremendous amount of nuance. In some ways, much more nuance than the English language does. It's a much more colloquial language. The nuance and the cynicism and the snide sort of remarks, all under the guise of poor Donald Trump. Oh, they're coming after him. Let's give him asylum here in Moscow. Is joking that this guy is a moron, and we've used him. And he served his purpose. Um, uh, you know, it's 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 galling and it's maddening, and it's 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 especially maddening to me when you have MAGA people here who just don't see it. That's the thing; they see him as this very strong, like bully who stands up, and it's like, are you kidding me? This is this is the exact useful idiot, the bully. This is like the bully bullying the bully, but the little person the big bully is bullying doesn't even know of course it's of course of but course. people can't it's, see that it's it's literally like hey hey em um go punch that kid out in the yard and go go do it emily come on i'll make it worth your while and you go do it and you're the big bad bully doing it everybody's scared of you in the yard but you're not doing it because you even realize why you're doing you know it's 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 just absurd and it's you know, again, you have to sort of appreciate Russian culture and how they look at him. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The grave danger to this country is what is in Donald Trump's and Jared Kushner's heads. They've had access to the presidential daily brief for all these years. And um, I don't know. It's it's just, it's, it's brutal, and I don't know what the solution to that is. Okay. I, we have to talk a very little bit. This is about the undoing. So my hot take on it was I really enjoyed it and I thought it was the whole time it was Donald Sutherland. I always can predict what's going to happen and I was annoyed that it was, I think people were annoyed because who the killer was was so obvious. So I think that was the whole point, right? It was like a double okay. reverse Jedi mind trick. Okay. Like they knew, yes, because you're trying to figure out who it is and the whole time it's Hugh Grant. Um, I'll say this, and, and you and I kind of talked about it before, but what I find fascinating is this 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 world of New York City private schools that they delved into, um, which is a world that I that I know quite well um, because my son goes to a school like that. Um, and they got a lot of it right. I think they got a lot of it wrong to some extent, um, in the sense that I think the friendships that you develop among the moms in, in these schools are, are deeper than these very cynical, shallow kind of, you know, uh, 
you know, how much money do you make and how much, you know, what does your husband do? On the other hand, you know, as I, as I keep joking, my husband never killed anybody. So <laughs> those friendships have never been tested, but I've made some pretty deep friendships um, with some of these moms that I think are deeper than, than what you saw um, reflected in this TV show. On the other hand, they did get a lot of it right. Um, mm-hmm. and they got the world right. I thought quite a, quite a bit. What I thought was nice, quite honestly, um, because it's always irritated me that this notion of um, that segment of American, of New York City society where the husband is a big, you know, doctor or Wall Street, you know, investment banker or, or a partner in a law firm and the wives are all sitting at home, you know, going to Pilates classes um, and, and, you know, having drinks with their other mommy friends at four o'clock. I got to tell you, you know, my son goes to a school like this and virtually every mother I know um, works Mm-hmm. And is as successful as her husband um, is. So, to to have this notion reflected on the show, I thought was very nice. That Nicole Kidman's character was this very successful therapist, and and the other mom was this very successful law- lawyer, um, and that they were all strong working women, and not just these shallow kind of you know, let's all have martini lunches and and go get manicures and facials and and you know go to Pilates together which is a lot of the stereotypes that you see reflected um, about that segment of society. So that I thought was interesting. Having said all that, um, Hugh Grant, I thought was amazing. He did a great job. And um, sometimes I wonder whether he's playing himself to some extent. He's always kind of playing this little bit of a sociopathic guy. First, I want to know why. So when they kissed in the elevator, when the, the woman who was killed and Nicole Kidman, why wasn't there video of that? Like, I thought for a while there, there was going to be security footage that on that came out. And I thought that would have been interesting. And I was waiting for that to happen. But uh, well, it's interesting, right? Because most of these elevators in, in New York City buildings do have security cameras. Um, on the other hand, this is one that opens up to somebody's apartment. So maybe it was a private elevator. So maybe it didn't have a security camera. Um, it's hard to say in some of these buildings what, what the deal is. I guess um, I'm just always hoping for a gay subplot. And I wanted her to just like want to be with her. And that's why she was embarrassed. And then there's a whole nother thing. And then she got together with her blonde haired lawyer friend. But, you know, that's just hopeful thinking. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought at one point the blonde-haired lawyer friend might be having an affair with Hugh Grant. Same here. I was hoping for the other way, but... And by the way, what I thought was fascinating, too, is if you're Nicole Kidman and you live in the West, in the East 60s, and you go for a walk um, after you get dropped off from wherever this, this party was in your apartment in the East 60s... You're not going to Harlem. You're not going to Harlem in nope. the middle of the night in your in your um, in your ball gown in your you know Versace or Balenciaga or whatever three thousand dollar ball gown. You're just not. I mean, you might take a walk. You might even be dumb enough to go walk through dark Central Park um, at midnight or ten o'clock or whenever you get home. And by the way, who's with your kid? Oh my gosh! Right. Like, like, don't you like tell the babysitter to go home? They didn't have a indoor, like they didn't have a live-in nanny. So don't you just tell the babysitter to go home? And then you're not going to go for a walk up to Harlem, which is not for people who don't know New York is not close to the East 60s. Um, 
you're going to stay home and make sure that your kid has childcare. I, that was not, that was an unbelievable thing there that I couldn't reconcile in my head because it just wouldn't happen unless she was actually insane. And then I also thought, uh, the, the whole legal process, the look at that with Hallie Fitzgerald, the lawyer, I thought that was really fascinating about this, how she said she was just, her job was to muck it up so bad to get him off. Well, I, I watched this with a lawyer who was a criminal defense lawyer. He said, actually, that was kind of fairly true to life, that process, that part of it. Um, he said was a, was fairly accurate. I, of course, am an expert in this matter, having watched 25 seasons of Law and Order back to back to back throughout my life. So, of course, I, I know the legal process quite well, having watched a lot of stuff to many of these kinds of criminals. So, Emily, if you have any questions for me, I'm more than happy to answer them based on that alone. But, yeah, um, no, but he seemed to say that this was not seen. He did say this was a fairly um, accurate representation. I thought it was, again, look, I thought it was an accurate representation of, of, of that segment of New York um, society. What I I had several theories. First is I thought Donald Sutherland killed him, killed her. Then I thought Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman teamed up to kill her them together, because she found out he was having an affair and he was stalking the family. That like was a fatal attraction kind of situation, mm-hmm. where you know the wife decides she's going to kill this woman to pr- protect her family. Um, then I went back to thinking Donald. Then I thought the kid might have done it. I was annoyed by the kid the whole time, so. Oh, really? I was. He annoyed I me. Saw, I saw that kid, and I was like, that kid is exactly what every kid I know who goes to New York City private schools is like. This well-behaved kid. That's, that's probably really why I was annoyed. <laughs> you, hung out, you hung out with my kid enough to know. <laughs> you saw, I saw. I looked at that kid, and I saw my kid. <laughs> Apparently, you got annoyed having hung out with my kid. Uh, <laughs> but um, my kid is not that well behaved. My kid, as you know, <laughs> reserves his good behavior for when he has to do it in school, but not necessarily for when he's at home. Um, anyway, I thought it was great. And I want, did you watch The Flight Attendant? Yes, I did. Is it worth it? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. You okay. have to, you have to text me uh, your hot takes after each episode. Okay, I will. Yeah, everybody tells me I have to watch it. Um, what are you excited about for 2021? I'm excited with interacting with people. And I feel like the relationships I have have gotten the ones who people who I'm friends with, I've become closer friends with during this whole thing. And I'm excited to, I'm just excited to have contact and really talk to people and be able to, what about you, Julie? I'm excited to travel. Yeah. So my little guy has discovered venice oh he's he's very fascinated by the concept of of venice that you can obviously you know everybody gets around in boats and then they walk and there is no car there are no cars and he's very excited about that and so um i I really want to take him there because it's one of my favorite places and he's very excited about going there and it's kind of sad because i thought we'd go for spring break but obviously that's not going to happen now well, isn't uh, he playing soccer in Spain? He is. So, so you could just take a little trip. Yeah, if all goes well, he's playing soccer. I'm lucky enough to be playing um, at Real Madrid's training facility 
it's run by Real Madrid in Madrid, which I've never been to. I've been to Barcelona, but I've never been to Madrid. You've been to Madrid, right? Yes, I have. And it is really fun. That's what everybody says. So I'm excited to take him there. Um, I don't know about taking a side trip to Venice, but I just, I, you know, I'm excited to go see my family um, in France. I have a lot of families, you know, in Paris, um, mm-hmm. which sounds a lot more glamorous than it is, but I'm, I'm excited to go see them. But I, I say that kind of understanding that some of the people listening to this are just trying to get by right now. It's, it's an awful time. Um, it's an awful time for people. I mean, look, as we're recording this on Christmas Eve, December 24th, um, unemployment runs out for a lot of people on December 26th if this new stimulus package is not signed and if Trump doesn't sign it. And if he doesn't sign it, even the $600, which I think is a paltry amount, I actually agree with him that it should be more. It should be $2,000. He's right about that. But um, if they don't come to an agreement, everybody's getting zero on December 26th. And there are a lot of people who are going to be, I don't know how they're going to get by. They're going to be homeless. I I agree. It's it's very sad because, right, the unemployment, so many people are just hanging on by that thread. And if that thread goes like. So the one thing I would say um, to anybody listening is, I think we've talked about this before. I'm very big. People call it tithing if they're religious or they call it, you know, whatever they want to call it. Um, but I'm a big believer in giving away a lot, if you can, a lot of um, what you have. And, uh, you know, everybody always thinks they don't make enough to give something to charity. But the reality is most of us can give something. It doesn't have to be a million dollars. It could be $10. So find whatever charity you can. Um nonprofit and give it to them um, because there are a lot of people in pain right now and they can't rely on government. And so food banks are overextended. Banks are overextended. Do what you can. Do what you can. Every Thanksgiving, um, we didn't do this year for obvious reasons because of COVID, but my little guy and I go and um, volunteer um, to, to give food, obviously, to, to serve people who are homeless. And if you don't have the time to do that or the luxury of giving money, figure out a way to do something because it's just an awful time for so many people and it's going to get worse to some extent before it gets better. COVID is spreading before the vaccine kicks in. People are dying. I mean, over 300,000 people are dead, which is mind numbing to me more than every war since world war two American lives lost combined in the last nine months, 10 months. Um, it's just incredible to me that it's happening. Um, it's, you know, we, we don't think about this enough because it doesn't hurt. It, it doesn't affect us directly. A lot of us, but there are people who are going to lose their homes, who are going to lose their jobs, who are going to lose their lives before this is all over. And if there's a way we can help then we should. And, um, you know, my, my charity or my nonprofit that I, um, give money to every year, in addition to lift our voices, obviously is I'm a big believer in doctors without borders because they do 
insane work and actually have a, a, a cousin in France who was a doctor, a pretty high guy, pretty high up at Doctors Without Borders. And if you heard the stories that he told about going to some of these war zones and helping some of these children who were in the midst of these war zones or families, it's, it's harrowing. So Doctors Without Borders, I, I give money to the United Jewish Appeal um, in New York City, but obviously Catholic Charities, any of these organizations, um, they don't have to be faith-based to do it. Um, those are my two in addition to Lift Our Voices. But whatever it is, I really hope people people do it and, and take it seriously. And, and if they can't give, give your time. And if you can't give your time and you can't give money, just figure out a way to pay it forward because we always see stories about people who show up in food banks who used to donate to food banks and now are clients of the food banks because they have had such a bad turn in life. So it could happen to any one of us. And I'm very cognizant as somebody who grew up um, and had to have um, food stamps at one point in my life um, when we first came to this country. I know what it's like to not have money for food. And so I strongly urge people to really think about donating, even if it's a couple of cans of, of carrots or beans or something to their local food bank. Um, please do. I love that message. I um, Here's something in the year I was proud for. So talking about charities, uh, the Ali Forney Center, which is for LGBTQ homeless uh, homelessness in New York, uh, I give to them. And then also when I was at Fox, I was the chair of Fox Pride. And I did several events with Fox Pride and gave over 3,000, was able to give over $3,000 to the Ali Forney Center this year which felt really good um, to try to get pride up at Fox. So that felt like mm -hmm. quite an accomplishment. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. What is something this past year, Julie, you're proud of? What am I proud That's uh, I can't do anything to compete with you. I'm proud of Lift Our Voices. I'm proud of oh, come on. The, the fact that we've persevered um, through this pandemic. Um, it is... You know, it's a it's a big passion of mine um, to advance this. I truly think that if we're successful um, in getting rid of non-disclosure agreements and mandatory arbitration clauses and contracts, employment contracts, or in settlement agreements, or or in severance package agreements, or in you know legal settlements, um, that we will change the American workplace and make it more equitable for women for members of the LGBTQ community, for people of color, for really all underrepresented um, communities. And so we've really worked at it. It's almost, not almost, it is a, another full-time job for me and for Gretchen Carlson, um, who's my partner in this. But uh, it's something we're so passionate about. We're going to get it done. And even in the darkest days of the pandemic, when we were wondering how we're going <laughs> to do this, because obviously the world had kind of stopped and people's focus was on something other than this. Um, we persevered and we will continue to persevere and I have really high hopes for 2021. I'm also excited to see you and Gretchen rock it with Lift Our Voices because I think the momentum too you guys are getting from candidates this year in supporting no, no NDAs was huge. Well, that's what I think is fascinating. You know, when we first did this, we launched this a year ago, December 11th, um, 2019, out in L.A. at the Hollywood Reporter Breakfast, um, Women Entertainment Breakfast or Women in Power, I forgot what it's called, Entertainment Breakfast. But, you know, we launched it and then we immediately went into overdrive trying to get the presidential candidates 
on both sides of the aisle to support our mission. And we reached out to everybody. I mean, we reached out to President Trump. We reached out to Vice President Biden at the time, President-elect Biden now. We reached out to everybody. The first one who got on board with us was Joe Walsh. Um, Republican. Republican. And somebody who I disagree with profoundly on almost every issue, but he was the very first one to get on board with us. The first Democrat to get on board with us was Joe Biden. And that's great. And we have a wonderful statement from Joe Biden saying, you know, he agrees with us and he supports our mission. And um, we're going to hold him to that now that he's president-elect. And hopefully, uh, interestingly, the Democratic platform this year, which was a surprise to us, actually um, had the exclusion of mandatory arbitration contracts as a as a part of the platform, that they, they did not believe in mandatory arbitration um, clauses, which is great. So... You know, let's let's see them now put their money where their mouth is and we'll hold them accountable. And it doesn't matter which party I belong to. Um, you know, if they do the right thing. Anybody does the right thing. I will applaud them for it. And if they don't, they won't. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Gretchen has this great line where she says, nobody ever asks you your political affiliation before they decide to harass you or not harass you. And she's right. And uh, and. Lindsey Graham, who God knows I, I really have a hard time with on a lot of different ways, but he's the sponsor of her legislation to get rid of mandatory arbitration bills, con- uh, sorry, mandatory arbitration contracts in um, in the Senate. So I applaud Lindsey Graham for that. I think that's and a first for this year because he's usually a reason why we're salty. No, so, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's no question about it. A lot of these guys, a lot of these um, people who I don't agree with politically support it i'm i'm happy this christmas eve that my family and friends are healthy and that's all that matters yeah i'm with you and i hope everybody else's family is healthy and happy and that 2021 is going to be a much better year for everybody and to those people who are hurting because they have lost loved ones to covid or um they are concerned about their unemployment benefits drying up or they're worried about getting evicted um, in the next several months, or they're worried about keeping their jobs and how they're going to pay for their kids' basic needs. Uh, I, I wish that I, Emily, and I know you joined me in this, had something in my power personally to help you, but we are, at the very least, I know we're thinking about all of you and um, and truly hoping that things take a turn for the better in 2021 for so many people who are in a lot of pain this year. Very true. And also on a positive note, 2021 for soft air politics. I think we have some really good interviews coming up and, uh, do. yeah, we have, so I'm, I'm excited for soft air politics as well. I am as well. All right. Happy new year. Happy Merry new Christmas. year. And I'll talk to you later, Julie. Bye. Bye.